Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. I'm um, here. Me and Vansh again, uh, and the tournament in Rome just finished with all its good moments and bad moments. Uh, there's a lot of things to review, to talk about from a player's perspective, from a fan's perspective, from a tournament board perspective, like for you name it. Uh, if I was actually pretty interesting, um, as we were discussing a little before um, the official recording of this podcast how it's a new experience for everybody that now we have like the two weeks uh, masters that extend beyond just Miami and Indian Wells. Um, it's been a whole experience for fans and players alike. Obviously uh, we as fans get to be more on that, um, on that side of like just the, the watchers, the spectators. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something at first, I'm going to be honest. I didn't think it was going to be <laughs> much of a bigger deal because I thought, well, Indian Wells in Miami are there. We kind of get used to it, but it's quite a lot more different than I thought it would be. Uh, but anyways, um, I'm here, as I said, with Vansh. How are you doing, man? Doing well, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on all those things that uh, you talked about. And, you know, it's uh, another two-week Masters, I guess, in the books. We just had Madrid, and now we've had Rome. Quite a rained-out event. Uh, so much rain during the week, which meant yeah. a lot of... Matches got pushed back. A lot of the players had to go through such an ordeal just to even get on the court for many of the days. And the night sessions obviously going really late in the night and um, a lot of interruptions. And yeah, I just, I feel for the players who were in the final weekend to some extent just because of, you know, everything that they had to go through just to get to that point. It's, uh, it was really rough for everyone involved. But somehow we, we made it through and hopefully, you know, the sport continues to evolve and we, we uh, see some more, some more changes, I guess, in in scheduling. Is out a bit more in the next two, three, four years. Uh, but until then, I think the tennis, considering all of that, I think the tennis quality was pretty high, um, and we got some good storylines heading into Roland Garros, in terms of you know who we're sort of looking at as legit contenders to win the title. Um, some good stories, you know, on the on the men's side, obviously with. Uh, with Medvedev coming through and winning his first clay tournament and right. winning it in, in Rome in the fashion that he did and uh, the top players that he beat along the way, as well as, yeah, just some other... Uh, with Nadal obviously not at Roland Garros, it adds a lot of intrigue for... And it feels more wide open than it has in, in previous years, I would say. Yeah. Uh, definitely. So that's going to be a bit of a weird feeling as we transition. I think this week is all Roland Garros qualifying and, and a couple of 250s on the men's and the women's side, but for the most part, I think the top players are pretty much ready to go. And uh, 
you know, we got basically two more weeks of play after this, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was definitely a lot in like uh, what you were saying right now. Like, uh, first of all, I think it, you mentioned Nadal. Um, we just recorded actually an episode. If you want to listen to like all of our opinions about like Nadal being in or out of the, the French Open, like what's going to happen with him. Like we dedicated an entire episode just right before this one. So you can go ahead and listen to that one. It's not a prereq to listen to this episode, obviously. Uh, but it, you can always like listen to that one and then coming back to, to this one because we are definitely going to touch a lot into what Roland Garros is going to look like without Nadal. Um, but from the perspective of the uh, the players who are going to be in the draw, um, and I think that the most interesting player in this draw uh, and the men's side um, as we start is is it's definitely Medvedev. <laughs> I mean, it's he's, he's become just held such a massive wild card at this point. He just came to tear entirely the any notion that like we would have a, a favoritism at this point because now everybody's being forced to include him in the picture whereas if he had lost even in the final of Rome I think we could easily put him like a tier or two below um like what he would be right now because like in in my view right now if Medvedev loses Rome okay he had a really good week but he got to the final and got bested by a player who is better than him like in a way um, I'm not saying that uh, Medvedev's draw was easy, but he didn't he didn't have to go through Djokovic or Alcaraz or uh, prime uh, Zverev or a prime Tsitsipas even. So like in a, in a certain way, you can say that like maybe he that was like a really good chance for him to win um, his clay court masters. Um, but at the same time, he had lost like in the final to Rune. I think it would have made sense. Like oh yeah, Rune like definitely like was the better player. He is the favorite. I thought he was going to win, even though I did put the tweet out saying Medvedev was going to win. It was mostly like just as a joke. <laughs> but turns out it was kind of true. I was like half joking. But yeah, Medvedev has been playing so well uh, on clay. He's been moving really well. Apparently he changed, he changed his shoes, changed his, uh, his strings. According to, I think, to my knee, Cariol, he put up a... I think so, that was him. They put like a, a, a the question yeah. uh, on Twitter. And yeah, I love how Medvedev was open to talk about like these uh, small um, technical changes in his game that are not necessarily like game wise, but more like equipment wise that really helped him like feel the court better. And uh, yeah, like I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I think the technical changes are are huge. I like that he pointed those out, and I like how honest he is in his press conferences because with most other players. I mean, you take what they're saying with a pinch of salt, but with Medvedev, he tells it to you like it is. And, you know, that he said that that's dangerous to say that before the tournament, because then if you, you know, flop and go out early, uh, for example, then you look, you don't look as smart. But he certainly uh, showed with his tennis that he's he's made the necessary improvements. And look, this is the first time he's had a real legit clay season. Like, I think some of the talk about him not being as good on clay, a lot of it is a self-narrative, something that he created on his own, right? And a lot of it is also... You know, the results from 2020 to 2022. But I think if we just go back a little bit, uh, while it was surprising to me that he won the title, and, you know, I was expecting something like a quarter or a semi going in, with the fact that he actually won it, um, you know, beating beating Zverev in the fourth round, he had to save a set point in the second set. So that things got a little complicated there, but he came through. And then obviously, uh, you know, a little bit of maybe draw help with Hanfman, but Hanfman was playing extremely well the whole week. 
Uh, so he came through there and then matches against Tsitsipas and Runa, very similar, both of them, where he was, you know, down uh, both players. And Runa and Tsitsipas had moments of, uh, of let's just say, where their games elevated in the second set and they were able to win three, four games in a row and they were able to wrestle the momentum back. But Medvedev was just too strong from the baseline and a lot of it is his forehand, I think. His forehand is, um, he's able to accelerate through the shot a lot more. You see him hit a lot more swing volleys at the net, for example, when he's finishing, and also just a lot of real baseline firepower that I don't think was there a, a year or two ago, and I think it is the strings, because those strings are, are softer, and he doesn't have to work as hard to generate the pace. And so when he made those changes, I think, um, in the offseason, he wasn't really trusting them in January. That's when he lost to Korda at the Australian Open, but ever since then, you look at his year. It's remarkable. I mean, we have to start talking about him like potentially finishing the year number one because now he is... Oh, he is already number one like, in the race, eh? Yeah, he's he's ahead in the race by over a thousand, like almost a thousand points ahead of Alcaraz. And here he is, he's won five titles already and it's only May. He's already won, you know, Doha, Dubai, Rotterdam and finals of Indian Wells, wins Miami, okay, quarterfinal in Monte Carlo. But even that was a decent result because he scraped by uh, what I would say even better version of Zverev than what we got here in Rome and then lost to Runa. Not much shame in that. And then yeah, uh, a little bit of an early loss in Madrid. Where, by the way, in Madrid he was playing on an outside court, and with his game style, you know how he likes to return really far back in the in the court. And uh, where he was playing in Madrid it was not on center court, so he didn't have the room that he would he would have wanted. And also, he was playing in Madrid against a peaking Aslan Karatsev, yeah. uh, someone who knows his game really, really well, really big serve. Yeah. And so I, I can kind of understand, uh, like you know, the, but the fact that he's ten and two this clay season, and now like. I mean, I I don't see why we shouldn't see him as a top contender at RG just because, look, he's won a slam already. He's won, like, all these Masters 1000s. He's beaten, you know, a lot of good players already on the surface. I think I want yeah. to go back a little bit to his results before this because I think they can actually be explained by some um, some re- some explanations that I can give as to why they were under par. Um, I mean, if we start with 2019, he made the semis of Monte Carlo there. He beat Djokovic and Tsitsipas along the way. This is before... 2019 US Open Medvedev. So it's not by any means like the prime of his career, but still that's where he started. He already had more success on clay then than he did on grass, for instance. And then he got to the Barcelona final mm-hmm. and lost a team there. So those two results were already, you know, pretty decent for, let's just say, his clay resume. But then 2020, he didn't, it was kind of a weird year, right? It was in the fall. He played in Hamburg and he played at the, at Roland Garros. So I don't put that much stock in that. And then in 2021, uh, he had COVID, I think, right? And then he didn't yeah. play Monte Carlo and Barcelona. And then a lot of it was just him whining about the surface. Like, you know, we enjoyed it a lot in 2021, you, me, and... Uh, he, he definitely uh, made it was, really funny. <laughs> you know, he was, he was, we called him the gardener and he was doing all the, he was saying all these iconic quotes. And, you know, at the time it, it was funny, but at some point we were like, dude, just get on with it. You know, like you can play on this thing. Like you're, you're consistent, you know, you, you get so many yeah. balls back. Like theoretically he has a lot of things in his game apart from the flat shots. And, uh, you know, let's just say the lack of top spin power, he he's he's improved that like like quite a bit. And the other thing he's improved is the sliding. I feel like he's sliding oh, yeah. a lot better, getting into his forehand, and he just looks a lot more comfortable. I think with the movement, and then when you add the amount of uh, pace to his forehand that he has, he can now actually attack and finish points. I don't think he was able to do that a lot before. And then of course he made the Roland Garros quarterfinal, and then I think last year he had the hernia thing, so he didn't play any of the three Masters. He comes into Geneva, takes an early loss to Gasquet, and then gets to the fourth round of the French, where he gets destroyed by Chilich albeit like a really red-hot version of Chilich, but Medvedev never really had the answers to problem solve. But now I think he's in a much better place having won Rome. 
and particularly the match against Runa, uh, it was very impressive to me how he just like, I, I mean, Runa is a player who is extremely talented, like, you know, yeah. extremely, like his level. The only thing right now is that it, the only question I have about Runa is physically, like, does he have the endurance? Because mm. I was watching this match and he's up 5-3 in that second set against Medvedev and he's playing really, really, really well um, for about like four games and he's just taking on high risk shots, uh, you know, like he has the full re- he has the full repertoire kind of like an Alcaraz right where he's yeah. just extremely explosive very energetic and he has the game to back it up where he's just like from both sides he can play extremely almost like a Djokovic type style where he just doesn't miss and then and then he can play all out of attack he's super talented but I think with him we talk, we saw two extremes of that match because there was there were times where he was playing very risky and trying to get trying to finish against Medvedev and he just wasn't able to because Medvedev was Ultra quick, he was reading his plays, and Runa, I think, physically was struggling a bit because, yeah. you know, just like he did in Monte Carlo, he got to the final there, started struggling against Rublev, and then got to the final of Munich against Botik van der Zanschel, where he saved all those match points, but he was struggling physically, right? Yeah. And then in Madrid, he took that earlier round loss, and then here he had a bunch of three setters coming through Paparin, and then Djokovic, which I'm sure we'll talk about more later, and then, um, and then the semi, and even the semi against Kaspar Rood, he was down a set and a break, and that, that got very physical. At some point, and then until the third set, and then now here, uh, I think he was feeling it in his legs. So that's why he started pulling the trigger a lot very early. Yeah, like, yeah. you watch the match, right? In the first set, it was kind of a very strange match, don't you think? Because in the first set, uh, there wasn't much in it for both players. I don't, they were missing so many returns. Like, they just weren't really playing very well for the first 10 games. And then at 5 6, that's where Medvedev showed like the improvements. I, I felt like, yeah. at 5 6, Runa serving, uh, he. He wins this amazing point, Medvedev, but with his forehand, where he had to just, he kept trading backhand to backhand with Runa, and then when he had the chance, he unleashed a forehand inside out. And in the past, I don't think he would have been able to unleash that on on clay. And Runa was in a defensive position, and he wasn't able to, wasn't able to counter it because Medvedev's forehand actually did damage. And then, and then in the next point, uh, there was this one point, I think fifteen, Runa maybe up thirty fifteen, and Medvedev, and he he comes in off of a second serve, second serve and volley, and I was like. You know that was not a not a great choice by Runa because Medvedev's probably going to pass you most of the times. He's behind the baseline and he's got all this time and he he, he connects and Runa was really struggling to finish points at the net because Medvedev, with his passing shots and his court coverage, he was doing he was just it was just no match. And I I think Runa, maybe if he was physically feeling a little better, he would have maybe made some better decisions because then in the second set. Patrick Mortoglu, who's his coach, very weird. I don't know why Patrick Mortoglu is still in his corner after a month ago saying that he's not there. But whatever, that's that's probably a different thing. It's just maybe because Runa is still involved with the academy and Patrick is still there. But anyway, Patrick told him, hey, you know, you got to be more patient. This is way too wild. You, you can't fluctuate with these extremes. Uh, you're getting frustrated. And, and then he's like, okay, I'll do that. And then he basically turned into a wall for like three games and just didn't miss. But I think the problem was it got really, really physical. So he, while it worked, he was able to get that advantage. It was a short-term advantage. It wasn't. It wasn't going to work the rest of the match, because then you know he just ran out of gas. And I think Medvedev like recognized it, and he was getting to the drop shots very quickly. He was just, uh, you know, and he was getting help from his serve. That's the other thing. Medvedev's serve, serve still works well, well on clay, like five all, thirty forty, break point ace down the tee. Runa can't read it, and it's like, yeah, I mean, he kind of just did what Medvedev does on a hard court, and I think the conditions helped him this week. That's another thing. I'm curious to see if this will happen in Paris, but the conditions it being very uh, heavy 
I think that doesn't mean as much. Sli- that means a little less sliding. You can play more like a hard court. Uh, the ball bounces a little lower, which is a lot better for Medvedev. He likes the low bounce uh, more than most players, especially because he hits the ball flat. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm curious to see, like, on a hot day in Paris, whether that becomes a, becomes an issue. But I think Medvedev in general, he's a confidence player. When he gets on a roll and when he's winning matches, he's extremely hard to beat. Like, you know, that's why I, I don't know where to put him, honestly. Like, maybe I'll ask you. I don't know where exactly to put him because right now I sort of have Alcaraz 1, Djokovic second, and then my tier three tier two is filled with Tsitsipas, uh, Runa, and Medvedev. I don't think I'd put anyone else in tier two right now. I just don't know the order. I think you can debate yeah. that whether you want to put Medvedev three, you want to put Runa four three, whatever. Like the thing about Runa is he just hasn't proven it yet in best of five sets. Yeah, so I don't know if he's ready physically at the end of tournaments to get the job done right now. I think yeah. his game is there, but I just it's, don't know whether the yeah. emotional, mental, yeah. maturity, and the physical thing, I don't know if it's there. Like, Medvedev has done it already in a slam. He's already yeah. won a major, so that helps, I think, going in. So if he's in the quarterfinals or semifinals, I think he's more likely than the others to prevail. And I think Sitsipas, he's just in a bit of a narrative funk at the moment. Like, I think he deserves to be on that in that top five just because, okay, he's been getting to these quarters and semis, but at some point, I feel like he's got to break through. He's got to beat one of these guys because, like... All, all these players ahead of him right now, they they have the edge, like in the in the head to head as well as in the, you know, in the in in the matchup. Like Medvedev was able to beat him here on clay, and you know, Sitsipas at the end of both sets didn't play his best. So, like, I don't know. Yeah. Even though Sitsipas has the best results on clay, I don't know if I'd put him third. Exactly. Like, I, yeah. I don't think I would. Yeah, and just to point out, like in terms of Sitsipas, I think the difference between what we normally talk about him. Because what you described about Tsitsipas is very similar to how we a lot of the times talk about Rublev. How like he's kind of doesn't really have the edge. But I think the difference between Tsitsipas and Rublev and nothing completely unrelated to that very unhappy comment that he made in the uh, uh, ATP finals um, about his weaponry and whatnot. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, he did, think, he did apologize yeah. for that. So yeah, that, was, that was good to see because I think, uh, yeah, yeah, he's in the heat of the moment, but I think... You can say things, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. They're athletes, they're competitive. But I think it's like Tsitsipas has the ability to generate pace, to generate power, to like hit his forehand with authority, to take it early, to hit good serving. Um, he just has all the tools, probably except for the backhand. <laughs> I mean, he does have a good backhand when he has time, but this shot is like on a downfall in terms of his confidence. Like, sometimes he, he's hit it sometimes well this week, but not enough that he's confident about it. Like, he he did it when he had to, but most of the time he's, he's be hanging, like, at three quarters of the, of the, on the court, like, to his, to his backhand side. It's ridiculous the amount of times that, like, players have come out with, like, a backhand down-the-line shot. Like, that was a winner because it's just right there like as in so long as you change the directions like if you get off of the um the neutral rally you have yeah. so much room to work with even if you don't hit a, a winner the it's rule very book is likely. obvious right when you're playing yeah. him right now like the rule yeah, exactly. book is so obvious right? yeah. i think the, the reason he's able to get away with it against most is they keep on going to the backhand and they don't change directions down the line yeah. so he's able but to they let him camp them. in that backhand corner and if you're just like giving him time and just Camp there, he'll be comfortable just trading with you, and like you know, he can't hurt you, but he can't, you know, he's not gonna miss much. But if you, yeah, because he's gonna, he's gonna still have four. And eventually, he's just gonna run items. around. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, yeah. he's gonna run around if the backhand and hit his start forehand, his forehand, forehand is forehand. one of the yeah. one of the very best in the game. Like, exactly. I, I think I tweeted yeah. that his, I like, I think his forehand inside in, I think it's the best on tour. 
besides Rafa. If you take Rafa out of it, uh, that's what Mark Pecci replied to me when I tweeted that. He said, if you take Rafa, I agree. Exactly, yeah, I think so. His forehand inside in is crucial because if he, you know, because otherwise he's yeah. going to get burned with the backhand on the line. So if he goes inside yeah. in, then he's going to have his opponents running to the forehand corner, yeah. which is what they want to do with, to him. But the problem is if you don't make your backhand line good enough, Tsitsipas has the speed yeah. and athleticism to cover that very, very well. Yeah. And then he's going to punish you with his forehand. And then you're you're kind of like at the mercy of such a good shot. So yeah. Like so, yeah, just the dichotomy. Yeah. Like his his backhand, it needs time, and it's a good stroke when he has time. But yeah. it can easily be rushed. And same yeah. with the same with the return. Even on clay, man, like you can high heavy to the backhand. Like like for instance, that shot that Medvedev hit in the twelfth game, that passing shot that I'm criticizing Runa for. I think it probably would have worked against it to pass, because I think he would have had like he either have been able to hit a close close enough volley at the net, or he, he I don't think it would have found that angle. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, uh, it's it's a lot harder for him with that one hander. So I think, yeah. uh, and I think to yeah, and I think just to answer your question with the the Medvedev like favoritism to uh, RG, confidence wise, I I think confidence and physicality wise, I think is third. Like in terms of like, does he believe that he's going to win RG? I don't know. I feel like Medvedev is. A, such a character that I think it just goes like, well, I've reached the quarterfinals once. I didn't play a terrible match against Tsitsipas. I just made weird decisions in that match. Um, <laughs> the her serve on match point. Exactly. That was the weirdest match point I've ever seen in my life. And yeah, but like now he's going like, I won Rome. I've done stuff that like made my chain my game like actually solidly effective on clay. Now that wasn't playing. Like Djokovic is not playing at his best. I mean, what does he got to lose? Like, I mean, just play to to the best of your heart's content and like play as best as you can. So I think I would place him better than Tsitsipas confidence-wise and better than Rune like physical-wise. So I think he's got the whole package package right now. But like all in all, I think Rune and Tsitsipas are better than Medvedev and Clay. So if they come out and they are playing better, if, for example, Rune gets to the quarterfinals and, and meets Medvedev and he's fresh, like, I think Rune takes it. But it, it might be like a top five setter or maybe a first setter. It depends on how it goes. But I still, for now, I would give the edge to Medvedev. I think he's going to be able to like out, you know, out, you know, outlast Rune in that one. And I think he's just going to be able to like tear down uh, Tsitsipas' mental- mentality even further. Like if they meet, I think he's just going to be like, I'm just going to do what I do best and just like turn this into a grind. And like and, yeah. and make it. And if Tsitsipas isn't playing at his best, I think it could. I think it could turn into Medvedev's way again, like as he did in Rome. Maybe in five, Tsitsipas could find more answers and like bring it to a fifth set. But who knows? Yeah, that's what I'm curious to see. The whole thing is best of five, and also what the circumstances play out. Because I doubt they'll be having to stop and start so many times in the rain, like they had to yeah. do for that. The, that's Tsitsipas Medvedev match, man. It kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed because of the rain, and mm. they they would come out, they play one game, then they'd have to go again and. It kind of helps the person who's behind. Yeah. Uh, when you're down in the in the score like that, and I don't know if Tsitsipas is going to mess it up again and f- five all forty love and play a play a bad game like he did yeah. there, and you know maybe now he'll want to get revenge and yeah, for sure. you know he saw the dance that Medvedev did afterwards, and the and there's a comp- and then because it was in reference to the dance that Tsitsipas did when he beat him in Cincinnati, and they, they had this whole rivalry thing going on, which <laughs> yeah. is. Which is which is great, I guess. It's like just a petty little feud, but yeah. it, it, it's like you know, I, I guess it's good yeah. for tennis. Yeah, wow. but I just I just think that I'm giving the edge to Medvedev, but I don't 
I don't I don't think that like I think it could change. Like I think in a sense, yeah. like depends on like how they play in the first week because they don't they they're obviously not gonna play in the first week. So like depends on how the first week goes, how they're play they're all playing. I could easily change my opinion on that one, but right now as if, as it stands, I think Medvedev is third and Rune Tsitsipas a close um close fourth and fifth. And I think it I I totally agree with you like with the physicality um of Runes. I think is before he used to have this problem where he couldn't really stand on like a, a five uh on a long match yeah, first round or second issues. round. Yeah. But now he's he's able to get to the later stages, but he's getting there he's gassed by the end of the tournament. So like how yeah. does he improve that even further? Yeah. I, I think, think he's gonna have to play he's gonna have to make sure that he can like doesn't waste sets in the early rounds and he True. He gets by his opponents quickly because if he can do that, he'll have enough left, I think, in the tank. And I don't worry about him so much, like I guess, mentally, because mm-hmm. uh, he's seven and two against top five players. That's a crazy stat. Yeah, uh, and he's he's beaten Djokovic now twice. He's beaten Tsitsipas twice. He's beaten Medvedev. He's beaten Alcaraz once, even though they didn't finish the match. But I feel like, yeah, like that's going to be very interesting. Where is Runa placed in the draw? Because he's the sixth seed. Sitsipas is the fifth seed. Had Sitsipas beaten Medvedev, he would have been in fourth seed. So he would have essentially avoided Alcaraz and Djokovic yeah. early. Because, I mean, now Sitsipas, he might play Alcaraz in the quarterfinal and then I pick Alcaraz to win that match. Yeah. Plays Djokovic, like, same thing, depending on how Djokovic looks. But I, that that's the only thing. Yeah. I think um, for, yeah, for, for RG for me, not to get too distance from Rome, because Alcaraz was a little bit gassed coming, coming into Rome. Um, but um yeah maybe he's yeah, gonna learn something to like this. that yeah, so yeah. so that that kind of loss i think it doesn't really change much for me because nope. the, the the guy played out of his mind like out of his skin and that can happen in a best of three set match i doubt if they play in best of five uh the margins are a lot bigger for the top guys and alcaraz probably like the chances of fabian morosian or a player like that outside the top 100 doing something like that in a slam is is very slim because they have to win three sets and I think at this point, like Alcaraz, like it doesn't change much because he won Barcelona, he won Madrid, he's he's won like ninety percent of his matches this year. Like it's slow clay, so guys really really hard to hit through. Like yeah, and the uh, thing that I think it favors Alcaraz, like when I think I keep coming back in my head that match at Indian Wells because even though it was a hardcore, it was very slow. So you can kind of draw that comparison. Um, it was obviously not a clay court, but you can kind of draw at least on like in terms of like uh, court speed. Um, so I think Alcaraz is one of the things that is very is we talk about that a lot, but I don't think we compare that a lot to other players, which is is his creativity and like his uh, problem solving skills. He probably has something to do with like Juan Carlos Ferrero being allowed now to coach, but like at the same time, like he is he's really good uh, at like making changes to his game, not keep himself focused, disguise his shots. I think I thought Rune was going to do uh, to Medvedev exactly what Akras did in Indian Wells, just because Medvedev is returning so far back and Rune has so many tools. It was actually surprising to me how Rune, like he started off doing like some of the same. Um, I commend Medvedev for uh, his problem solving skills, but I think Rune kind of got trapped in his own mind there. Like he kind of started like playing too passively, kind of started to to grind it a little bit too long. Like some some of the rallies wasn't trying to hit through his forehand as as well as he could. I think he. He could have had tools to win that that first set, and maybe the match would have been a little bit different. Obviously, credit to to Medvedev for for doing what he did, and I think Medvedev is obviously um, guilty of uh, 
it went of how Runit not playing some of his best tennis because of how Medvedev is able to like find solutions and when he's playing his best he's just a cerebral player he just he's just able to see what's happening and find solutions by himself and like try different things um so um but yeah I think coming into uh RG I think I think Alcaraz is is my favorite guy and I'm really excited for this this Grand Slam actually because Hopefully, it's going to be a Grand Slam where Alcaraz is playing, well, arguably at his best right now. Like, And then Djokovic is going to be there as well. All the top guys, except for Nadal, are going to be there. Um, and it's kind of, a, a, in a way, like a level playing field. There is no real favorite, in a sense. Like, as in Australia, you have Djokovic. And in, uh, in, in Wimbledon, we also have Djokovic. In Valangalas, uh, we'd have Nadal as, a, as the favorite. But... Now it's just kind of like, okay, who's going to step it up now? And I feel like this is, I'm really excited to see how good Alcaraz really is, especially if he faces Djokovic. And I really hope he faces Djokovic because this is, yeah. this is, I think, the big test for me. Like, I really want to see that happening. Yeah, say, I think everyone does because after they played in Madrid last year, which was over three and a half hours, they haven't met since and they haven't even been playing the same tournaments a lot of the time up until Rome this year. Yeah. So I hope we get that match. That would be a semifinal. Now, instead of a final, that's the other thing. Medvedev now number two seed as opposed yes. to third, but having won this. So, like, I, I hope we get that. And then I hope we get, like, ideally, I'd want to see, like, some combination of, like, Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Rona in mm-hmm. the semis. Um, If Sitsipas gets there, that, that'd be great. But just because he's a five seed, I'm not, you know, putting him in there just yeah. because there's one four chance he could get, you know. If if he gets maybe rude in his section and maybe that thing maybe that draw opens up maybe there's a chance for him to get to the semis too but hmm. um, but basically like I, I'm struggling to see someone other than those five like win the title the other one is Sinner but Sinner yeah. for me I think he could have used a great result in Rome and the fact that he didn't get by Sorondolo and also that he was sick in Barcelona like had to pull out like didn't play Madrid. I'm not sure, and he's never been past the quarterfinals either. So, I'm not sure about, about him. And same thing with the um, same thing with Rublev. Even though he won Monte Carlo, and you know that was the everyone was super happy for him. That was a great title, like awesome effort. He's now a Masters 1000 champion. Yeah. Since then, he's lost to Hachinov in Madrid, and then lost uh, in the fourth round again here uh, to Hoffman. But I don't, and he's never been past the quarters either so I think like he's still a top eight contender but I don't know like if he can get past the quarterfinal stage because he hasn't done that yet yeah and then Casper Ruud who made the final here last year uh he had not been having a good year until Rome and then he he made the semis and actually thought played pretty well for like a set and a half against Runa and then got a little bit distracted uh yeah. and Runa raised his level and then like it was it was over quite quickly after that but uh if if Rude gets on a good run, I think he'll need that because he's defending all those final points. Yeah. I guess last year you could say he didn't have a great clay season until Rome and then he won, got to the semis of Rome and then won Geneva, which is this week. I think he's defending that again this week. Uh, or, I mean, he's in the draw to try to defend it and then he's going to be the fourth seed at RG. So, yeah, I think I, th- I think we have a good group of like those eight guys. I, I don't know beyond that, like... You have Fritz, you have maybe Zverev, you have maybe Felix, yeah. but like Nori, yeah. like Wasedi, the Chorich, then it starts getting like very hard to see one of those guys yeah. win. 
it's so. just very tricky when he gets below this. Like, I, it's, I feel for Sinner because he has a, a super high level, like when he's playing his best. Um, probably one of the few guys right now who who's able to make Alcaraz feel extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, on that's the other thing yeah. I was going to say. So suppose we get a Sinner-Alcaraz quarterfinal. Like, that could get very interesting because then yeah. now all of a sudden that's a 50-50 match. Yeah. So could, I, I think this is it all comes down to matchups. Yeah. Because I think I think uh, like for example Medvedev, I think he'd rather face Djokovic than he than face Alcaraz, for instance. Yeah. Like he's just this is a lot more comfortable against Djokovic. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Like this, it's all about matchups. I think. Yeah. Depends on the draw. Yeah. Well, we we're, we're gonna have to we're getting too excited right now. Let's just open, have, uh, wait for the the draw to come out and and then we're gonna be able to discuss. Like a lot of this, because it's, it's it's a lot of different things that could happen, obviously. And when it comes to the other guys, as you were mentioning, like either they are lacking in terms of a few weapons or like movement that could help them out, like Taylor Fritz, or maybe they just kind of don't really have the physicality, like like Sinner, unfortunately, or just kind of they're just tricky players, like Chorich and Musetti. It's just like it, it's it's hard to see them peaking for like a like a seven seven straight matches against like the top guys it, it would they would really need to be playing the tournament of their lives i think right now yeah. to to i, to I think there's a lot of other point. dark horses that i'm probably forgetting like you have stroof you have like sarundalo yeah. i think is a very good player on yeah. clay um but we would it's, it's yeah but we we are definitely looking at a few upsets here like it's we are on high upset alert right now on uh, rolling arrows like when it comes out the draw i think we yeah. we're going to be very excited to see who's who's on whose draw uh so but yeah I, I wanted to ask you about djokovic yeah and then i think then we can sort of move on to other topics but uh djokovic obviously got the three matches in uh against uh, he had that good win over nori and then he beat Echeverry and then another match also who did he play after Echeverry again? Can't remember. Yeah. Wasn't it Nori after? after I think Echeverry. it was Nori in the fourth round, and then uh, Echeverry in the in the first match, uh, and then someone after Echeverry, but it was fairly comfortable. He lost to Runa, right? Yeah, he lost to Runa in the quarters, yeah. but before that, he had beaten Nori. He'd beaten Echeverry. And Let me check the draw here. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold on, I should, I, I'm, I should remember this. I'm just blanking right now. I th- oh, was it Dimitrov? Yes, it was yes, Dimitrov. Dimitrov, yeah. So yes, played, that, was, that was a three-setter. It yeah. went... Uh, so his his uh, yeah, bit, but but yeah, his, so 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 I think he got a few more matches than he did in Banja Luka and 
Monte Carlo, yeah. but the only thing is, I didn't think he played very well in the first and third sets against Runa. No, nope. I thought Runa was a lot more patient, a lot more solid, won all the longer rallies. He kind of beat Djokovic at his own game, uh, and really just took it to him. And I mean, all Djokovic did was serve a bit better in some big moments, and that helped him in the second set. Uh, but like honestly, I just don't think his serve and his forehand were at the level that he'd wanted to. I think he would have wanted more out of Rome than what he got. But at the same yeah. time, like best of five, I think he could work his way into it. I my only concern about him is the is the elbow thing because he still had he still had like uh, before the Runa match, he or before the Nori match, he had uh, the match was delayed a little bit because of his shoulder. Hmm. So like he he had to take some tablets for it, and then in the Runa match as well, like he took he was taking some tablets, and then his elbows he was wearing the sleeve. Sometimes he was wearing it, sometimes he wasn't. So. I question whether he's still 100% healthy and whether that elbow is still a bit of an issue because if it's not, then, you know, then he can yeah. find his form like in, in best of five. But if it is, then that's that's going to be tough. He has to be absolutely 100% now for the clay because one thing, if it's grass or if it's hardcore, like Australian Open or Wimbledon, but like, like Djokovic needs to be bar none 100% healthy because I don't see him winning Roland Garros if he's not, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's definitely like when, if, especially if he comes up against like another um, matchup like Rune, when he's not um, physically struggling, and and if he comes up to Akras as well, who I'm pretty sure is not going to be struggling physically, hopefully. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's it's tough to see if he's not he- fully healthy, fully fit. He's going to be redlining for sure. Like this match is is going to be Djokovic like fighting for his life and you know how Djokovic like when he is down it can be like a, his most dangerous form um but at the same time like yeah it's it's still a tough ask so um I'm ex- I'm in- I'm interested to see this because Djokovic is always especially over the years has become really difficult to predict uh in a grand slam because he comes up and he does all those things like in the other tournaments comes here, loses there, and then just kind of plays a really crappy match. And all of a sudden, he just kind of, like, finds his absolute best form, like, in at a Grand Slam. Australia 2021, I think, was the perfect example of that. When so many people are just kind of really banking on Medvedev to win. And then Djokovic kind of crushes him in the in the final. It was... It was obviously two years ago, so he is now two years older, which is a big thing when you get to your 30s in tennis, but... Um, at the same time, it's like, who knows, like yeah, how, peaks, who much, how much Djokovic, yeah, who much, how, who, who knows how much Djokovic gave um, during um, doing Rome, like who much, how much is, who knows how much he's gonna give at Roland Garros, how much of his body is gonna yeah. put on the line, is he gonna wait for Wimbledon to do better, is he going, is he confident that he, he can give everything at Roland Garros and be ready for Wimbledon in three weeks? It's like a lot of scheduling conflicts that he's yeah. he's probably thinking a lot about now so if he's healthy and he finds his way out of the first three four rounds then i think he like becomes the man to beat if he's yeah. playing his best because yeah like with with known at all yeah um, and he obviously wants to add to the slam tally so you can't really count him out but mm-hmm. i guess just based on what we've seen you probably have to put him behind alcaraz yeah um, but, but yeah, I think it should be pretty ex- pretty exciting. I mean, I think we had fewer upsets in Rome on the men's side than we did yeah. in Madrid, which is always ex- 
which is usually always the case. So I think uh, most most of the contenders like made it pretty deep, apart from Fritz and Rublev and yeah. But um, yeah, like I think so. Like I think the quality was pretty decent considering the rain and all of the delays yeah. and all of that. For sure. But uh, but yeah, how about the how about the women's side? The women's side. I think Shantek lost like two games and two matches and to begin the her her um Yeah, the first couple of rounds she lost two games and then started getting a little harder against Donna Vekic, but she came through a three and four. Yeah. And then then was the big match against Rubakina. Rubakina ends up winning this title, but three retirements along the way. Should yeah. be said. It was a semi, right? And then retirement with the Iga quarterfinal and then a retirement in the final. Obviously against yeah. Kalinina. So she beat she beat Juan Russo in a completed match. She beat Ostapenko in a completed match. And then she won her first match against Jasmine Paulini. So yeah, six matches, three matches completed, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were doubting Rabakina before this tournament as to like how big of a factor is she really on clay because she's proven it on hard courts and obviously Wimbledon mm-hmm. champion, Australian Open finalist, Indian Wells title. So she has really been one of the three best players this year, no doubt about it, or yeah. since Wimbledon, really. Um, but the question mark was always going to be her versus Iga on clay. How's it going to work out? And I mean, Iga was dominating for about a good hour in the in the match. She was up six two four two and had a break point for five two. So it we were very close to a six two six two scoreline. But then Rabakina played an amazing game to break back, and then all of a sudden it's. It's very even now, and to her credit, because it looked like uh, Iga was going to just run away with it. But then, uh, and then she was down break points, I think four all, 15 40, and she hit two really big serves, just got out of it. Yeah. And then five all, another break chance for Iga, another big serve. So that's the, the one of my big takeaways is Rabakina is one of the, has the most accurate serve right now, I think, in women's tennis, because she can hit all four corners of the box, even on a slow clay court at night. She makes the court look fast, the way that she's able to play, like how early she takes the ball, how like her quick strike yeah. ability on both the return and the serve and the first shot after each shot. I think it's uh, it's very dangerous, especially when she's in form. But the only thing is if they get into extended rallies and the movement comes into play, I think she's a better mover than she used to be, but I don't think she's as comfortable as a Shriantek or a Sabalenka in that department, let's say. Yeah. I think Sabalenka defends a bit better. It's more natural for her on clay. So I'm curious to see what happens at the French, but um, obviously Shivantek also coming in with some injury concerns, but it's a good thing that she pulled out of that match because she didn't want to risk it. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't think uh, trying to win Rome would have been smart with that injury. Yeah. So yeah. She, she felt something in the tie break, but already Rabakina was ahead in the tie break, so it could have well gone to a third set. I think so. That would have been interesting to see had Iga been healthy, like what that outcome would have been. Yeah. But, but I will say that it does put something more in Rabakina's column. So, like, if her and Iga, if Iga and her were to face off, that would be a semi-final. Um, in Paris, that would be very interesting because obviously with Australia and Indian Wells, um, and this, I think we have. I think it's very much become Chiantek, Sabalenka, and Rabakina as the three. Going in, but I still make Iga the favorite because, yeah, yeah. like it's Roland Garros. I still have to put her at the top, but I, I don't think it's Iga versus the field. Like I, I don't think uh, yeah, she has a like clear edge over the field like she did last year. Yeah, that that would be the only thing. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I I agree. I think Ika has put herself in a position where, like, as a Grand Slam, multiple time Grand Slam champion, um, I think we can, I think we can safely say that she's a favorite for Roland Garros. Um, I think the, as you said, like she she didn't rise to a a goat level yet. Um, although I think she is is. Is dominant enough that we can we can say that she one has the experience uh, and the confidence to win a major, and two I think she uh, prioritizes it. I think it, it becomes a huge priority in a player's life once you at least get to that stage. There's just like there's nothing else in front of you except for like winning those bigger titles because otherwise you're just gonna lose your edge to someone to other people. And I think. Sabalenka is right on 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 her tail now, and Rybakina is probably trying to win a Grand Slam with points at this point now in her career. Uh, it's probably gonna like catapult her like even further in the rankings and get rid of any other doubt that must have had after uh, Wimbledon last year. Um, if that isn't already like done, but like I'm pretty sure some people still like say, "Oh, it's just one a depleted field um, Grand Slam." So. I don't agree with yeah, people would have said that so. it doesn't count but, because I mean come on but I think she's she's eager and once you won one I don't think you some other people some people are fine with just one but I don't she doesn't strike me as, as one who would just stop winning um but yeah I think Sabalinka's loss was a huge upset to Kenan in the first round um I'm definitely because Sabalinka has been doing so well in the past few years on clay uh, in the um, two and up tournaments, like in Stuttgart and uh, Madrid, um, we'll have to wait and see like what, how she does uh, at RG. But I think now she's won a Grand Slam, she should be a lot more confident as well. I think it yeah. it, it will come it's down. A strange to... thing to me that she hasn't been past the third round of Rome? Roland Garros, so I definitely expect like that to change if she's playing well. Yeah. Only thing is, I'll give her maybe a little bit of a pass here just because of the turnaround from Madrid. For sure. And. That she was playing Kennan, who just played out of her mind. Yeah. Like, she just, like, especially in the second set, like, Sabalenka just got really frustrated. She kept going for so much on her backhand, especially in, like, her returns. And you could tell she just wasn't in it, like, mentally to try to fight back and win. Hmm. And and Kennan is, like, one of those players who just relishes a chance against another major champion like that and is trying to work her way back up. So I could, I could kind of see, but it, it does... Um, we still haven't seen it yet on slow clay, like past the third round. So that is kind of interesting yeah. just because like, what if she does have an off day? Like, is she able to problem solve? Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things that I was thinking as well, like, because it's, it's a best of three. Yeah. It's... Yeah. The confidence of like winning yeah. a slam and winning Madrid and the like consistency that she's had this year, apart from this loss, like it should, the only thing is you just maybe worry, has it been too much time between now and Rome? Maybe mm-hmm. not. Like two weeks maybe isn't that much, but um, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't. I think it's uh, it's too soon to just because she lost that one. I mean, yes, as you say, it was a first round, but I think it's so. I think it's too early to just say that. Oh, she's not a favorite anymore. I think she's she's carved her place up up in the game. It it, it was big three WTA up until like. Madrid, like or like Sukar, like why is it all of a sudden not anymore? Like it, it happens yeah, it sometimes. Like those the, guys had them all those, split yeah. the titles, right? Because Shantik won Stuttgart, Savalenka won Madrid, and yeah, Rubakina won this. So I think yeah. it's like for the first five months, it's definitely a big three. 
Yeah. So if it's just because of a this loss and maybe Fiontech's um, an injury problem, then like I don't think we should be like saying that like all oh, the field is wide open and, uh, as it used to be like maybe in twenty twenty. <laughs> but like yeah, no, there's it's, definitely it's, some more stability yeah. now. Yeah, I think that's the that's the big takeaway. Like for the first five months, the WTA because those three have like separated themselves. Yeah. Like in yeah. in basically every stat you look at or basically every metric. And the eye test as well. It feels like those three are like pushing each other to become better. So I, yeah. I hope we see those matchups because like Sabalenka, Shviantek especially has been fascinating. Like they played eight times. It's five three for Iga. Yeah. But their last match was very high quality in Madrid. Like I enjoyed that match a lot. Hmm. And then, like same with the Sabalenka, Rabakina, and Australian Open. In- Indian Wells was good, but you know Australia was probably better, of course. And mm-hmm. but but still, like you know they they were able to bring something new to the table every time they played. So yeah. I hope we see those matches like very often in the latter stages because I think the WTA could really use like that stability the past. For sure. Yeah. You. And it's it's the kind of thing that uh, sometimes in the beginning, like when I was watching tennis for my first few times and I would see like some of the women's matches, like K.A. Serena, like the Denara Safina in her best uh, times and Caroline Wozniacki when they were number ones. It's it's it was so often that they would just win like a uh, like a handful of those matches like six love six four six love six two six two six two. It's kind of boring like at first, but I think when you and the skin of that player, like I mean, not only you you'd like to win a quicker match, but also you you just really want to shut down the window of opportunity because it's so small. Like as in it's it's a two it's like a, a three setter um it's a best of three in the women's side if you let them in for one set and they win it like all of a sudden it's such a dire position like it's it, it you really want to like make sure that you're beating those opponents like really fast so um yeah so i think that's that's what we sort of like are needing to be like to to see it's it's um, when Sabalenka Rybakina is come at RG, it's that they don't start that they start strong. Like if they get a strong start like this, like start winning a few of those matches like really quickly and really dominantly, yeah, I think that's that would be the best for for them in that regard. Because I think that we see the, the perfect example even in this week uh, when Kalinina reached the final. I mean. You could say like oh, if it was best of five, like it isn't. And the thing is, she was able to work her matches in like three and a half hours, like time after Super time. Super physical. Like yeah, yeah. actually, that, that was very impressive from yeah. Kalinina. I want to give her a shout because obviously she's playing for Ukraine, and yeah. like there was this interview that I press conference that I watched. Like there's a bomb that blew up, like near where her near her academy, like where her parents are coaches. Yeah, and um, like. She, yeah, like both of her parents are coaches there and they're very much like her family is very much involved, like like basically where the war is happening in Ukraine. So it's like very like tough like to go through that as well as like try to win a masters mm-hmm. uh, when you're away and also like just the whole circumstances and, and then the, the fight that she showed this week, like to get through keys, Adad Maya and Kurumatova, like all in three sets. And the Kurumatova semifinal was super physical and same with the Yeah. Hadad Maya one. I think the Hadad Maya one was the longest match this year. It was like yeah. three hours and 45. 42 minutes, I think. Yeah. Something like that. It was very, very like long and physical and a lot of back and forth. And Kalinina is kind of one of those players who just does everything pretty well. Like there's not one thing that really stands out. Like she's 
she's got a good a decent amount of variety as well like on play she can throw in a lot of drop shots and higher loopy shots and then inject pace off of both wings yeah. um basically at will and i think her serve could probably be a little better but she returns well and yeah. i think I she's think, yeah. i think her best like a good player but i you know i i don't really see her as a contender obviously for yeah. for all girls like i think she needs like some draw help and stuff like that like in this section uh, in this section like you know Sabalenka lost Gagula lost like who's usually very consistent uh like like the but the fact that she beat Kudermatova and Keys like that's good she beat Kennan who beat Sabalenka yeah so uh yeah she's just probably one of the the, the good thing is that she'll be seated so that's good news for yeah. like the top players you don't have to exactly. face her in the first or second round but it was very unfortunate that she had to retire in the in the in the final and that whole thing was a total disaster to have the women's final be at 11 yeah. p.m. at night on on Saturday like why are you scheduling it so it's two yeah. matches in a uh two men's matches semifinals on Saturday and then the women's final and not before time way after and you know you know they said that the organiz- organizers told everyone that it was uh like up to the players and they asked both the players but Kalinina sort of debunked that in her press conference yeah. Afterwards, saying that you know, no, we didn't really have a choice, like so we just, yeah, we were told to just finish it today. But that's that's just not great. Like it just doesn't show that they're treating the women's tennis and like the women equally because everything is sort of centered around the men's final. Like if you look at it, because I think it would have been very wise of them to move the final to Sunday. Uh, and and they wasted Thursday basically because Thursday they just had two ATP quarterfinals. And that was such an unproductive day. And when you know that there's rain and the, that all this is likely, like, it, it was probably very tough for the organizers, Organizers, but they, they have to, like, anticipate these things, I feel like. Like, it's it's not, yeah. I don't feel like it's, it's it's that tough to anticipate. Like, it's going to get rained out, it's going to get delayed, like. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. Like, before, before we move into, like, this discussion, because I think it's, we all have a lot to say about this, but, like, Coming back to Kalinia, I think the point that I really want to try to make is that because it's a best of three, the top players always have to be looking at it and saying there can be a player that will come up and be playing so well in that week with so much confidence. And we've seen this like this last couple of years. I think like um, I think Zidanecek and uh, even uh, last year Tatiana Maria played in uh, Wimbledon. Every once in a while it happens in the WTA Tour because of that format and it kind of allows for that one. So, yeah, I think it's it's yeah, definitely... I think definitely at RG you'll message, probably see it more. Yeah. It's probably also more likely, like if you remember 2021, you had like Pavlyuchenkova, Zidane exactly. Zek, Like, I think Bedosa and Rabakina were also in the quarters there, but yeah. Rajikova. So, like, I think this is historically like the major where you're most likely to maybe see an unseated or like someone who's not on your radar, like at yeah. least one get to the semis. And I think that just happens because I think most of these players grow up, grow up on clay. Like exactly. there's a lot, a lot of, of in, in Europe is very clay centered. Like, like I could see like, like if, if our one of our three don't win it with Rubakina, Sabalenka, Sviantek, like I would have said Krajikova before this, but Krajikova hasn't been playing very well. Like yeah. her results haven't really like, she did, like, she well, did very I think well in Dubai, Dubai, but yeah. But like she lost to Martic, I think in Beijing King Cup. She lost here to Ostapenko. Ostapenko is another like wild card. You just don't know like which one will show up on any given day. But that's what makes it like so exciting because yeah. you can just catch fire and crush every single ball. And 
kind of has to with that game style because yeah. doesn't get like nearly as much as the other players of her movement and her serve. So, yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's just before we move on to now we're moving on to the uh, the two week thing is just because at RG like I think the um, I I have my favorites in my head. Like as I said, the big three, the twenty twenty three big three: Svitliantek, uh, Rybakina, Savalinka. But it's you always keep an eye out for those upsets because they always come. So um, hopefully we're gonna get like those good matches. And back to the as you were saying, like the scheduling thing. It's it's very interesting to say. Like I feel like I don't. They announced the roof was gonna be built by twenty twenty six or seven. Yeah, twenty twenty six. Yeah, and it's it's like when you when you look at it, it's like after the entire week was that decision taken previously or was it something that they decided after the tournament was taking place it was like this is too much we need to like seal a deal for a roof like right now because i it's such a big talk like it's it's millions of dollars that you spend there's no way they didn't have this announced before or yeah because i'm hoping that they don't just kind of like say we have this plan now we just need to find the money for it because I really do hope that like they actually have the plan. It kind of makes sense to have it in Rome, just because like yeah. even if I look at like previous years, even when it wasn't two weeks, like I still remember a lot of these matches like getting delayed because of rain. Exactly. I remember yeah. Twenty nineteen, like the big three all had to play two matches in one day. Like there was that one day they all had to play two matches. Then like in twenty eighteen, like the final, I remember it got delayed and rained, and it feels like this happens a lot in Rome, and it rains a lot in May. So I think you can definitely see it coming. I think about the roof, they probably have some restrictions in the mm. city. Like like the government probably has some restrictions like where they can build the roof on in terms of like property rights or like construction rights like for that area, like in near the Foro Italico maybe. So I'm guessing maybe that's why it took them so long or they just, they hope to have it built by 2026. But I, I don't see how like this wouldn't be again an issue next year. Like they have to yeah. sort of yeah. At the very least, what they can do like next year is improve their schedule, like order of play scheduling. Because yeah. if you at least have that, then you can account better for those delays, and you like then the women aren't getting screwed over, or like the yeah, um, like players are getting appropriate rest. Because in a two week format, like why are we having the matches go till two a.m. and why are we having yeah, uh, like these like repeatedly, like yeah. when, when push comes to serve, it always feels like the women's side. Get screwed over. Screwed over. Yeah, so I think they get the shorter end of the stick. Yeah, it's and then it, what annoys me also is yeah. like the WTA doesn't really say much about it afterwards. So it's like, you know, like I don't know, like like couldn't they just release a statement afterwards, just on the behalf of their players? Because clearly the players are not happy with it. Clearly, like fans are not happy with it. Clearly, it's a big talking point, and articles are being written about it. So I wonder, um, you know. Like if if we see any changes to it, because like what I would suggest is like we have Indian Wells, right? And yeah. that's always been two weeks. And that's the first Masters 1000. I say everyone just follow that type of scheduling that they have in Indian Wells because yeah. it works and it's proven yeah. to work. And I think so. It's, yeah, it, it, I like the idea. I I wonder if what Rome and Madrid were trying to do is just like tinker with the schedule they see if they can find something that works better for them in terms of ticket sales. By the way, I also but, understand that the culture is very different. Like they have yeah, cultural exactly. differences. Like they, they probably stay up later at night. They, they eat dinner later. Like, yeah, it, you know, they could probably justify it a million different ways, but it just... Yeah, I, I would still say that like, I think finishing at 
I think for the sake of everyone, you should want to try to finish at the latest at 1 a.m. Because, like, yeah, maybe the culture is different, but then, like, but then again, like, you have the players who are the entire day, like, waiting for the match and then just coming back on court, like, at 11 p.m. It's it's a little it's rough. The I mean, final of one of the biggest tournaments in the world. Yeah, like it's, it's a show yeah. showpiece event, and like yeah. you, you know, like you looked at the, like the trophy ceremony afterwards. Like Rubakina got booed in the trophy ceremony because like they were booing the organizers because they paid for the for the women like the night ticket. They paid for that ticket, and then like they, it was the organ the tournament, like the one of the worst uh, trophy presentations I've ever seen because yeah. it's like they yeah. they literally confused the players and they gave Rubakina yeah. a plate and. Yeah. Instead of a trophy, it was it was a whole mess. Like it, I want to, I want to, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt just on the fact that it was the first time that they ever done this. I do think that like, hopefully, this serves as a little bit of a lesson because like in the sense that it's your first time doing this, you already have two tournaments that work exactly like that for the past what like I don't even know like twenty thirty years at this point. Yeah, do it. I think just kind of get over with this. Like, do it in a foolproof way. If you have to, like, move or move things over because things didn't work out, I think it's just kind of like you can use data for this. Like, this is the job of like maybe the ticketing team uh, in the in those cities, in of the um, tournament organizers to like pull out this data and say like, okay, the Thursday doesn't work out with all this this people doing this because whatever Thursday. Is a special day in in Rome. I don't. I know nothing about Italy, by the way. Uh, so, it's, so that like people don't come and watch whatever. Or there's like football on Thursdays, and people are more excited about football than they are about tennis. So like there's there's ways that you can go about like figuring this out. But because I think it, you want to have the tournament run as smoothly as possible the first time, instead of having as many roadblocks. Because now you have like so many roadblocks. And you don't know if it's because your scheduling was bad or is it because the people and the culture is different. It's like, you're just adding to the problem. It's like, in my opinion, like, I feel like if I am Shanghai at this point. Yeah. To have just two matches on, on yeah. Thursday and then cram everything in three days because that's, that's yeah. not do anybody any good. So, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, and, the, and there's uh, the obvious um, women to men inequalities. Just... Yeah, like, there's still the equal prize money thing yeah. or like, you know, like... like they did all this work and they got, you know, 300,000 and the men get whatever, 900. So it's like yeah. a third of what they're making. But, you know, that I think, I think they plan to change that by in the next couple of years, Yeah, especially for these combined events. So I think that that part of it should get better, hopefully, yeah. uh, because yeah. these combined events are only good if you have men and the women, yeah. like yeah. Then, and then you have these two weeks. So there are some advantages in terms of like it's spread out over two weekends you get more opportunities for the players. So you have yeah. more, you know, more like the cutoffs are not as brutal. Like you can get in if you're 90 in the world or 85 yeah, in the world. That for sure. Where you couldn't before. And obviously more chances for upsets. But also it means like, you know, maybe more rest time in between tournaments if yeah. you lose early and then not enough like playing opportunities. So that's probably one area that the ATP is still like looking to get. Yeah, better. I I. I... I commend the ATP for putting up like those Challenger 175s. Yeah, that's because... going to elevate those events a lot because like yeah. you had Bovrinka, Andy, like Tommy Paul, like yeah. Guam Bear. Like there's some good players. They feel like 250s rather than... They do, yeah. And when it comes to the women's part of the game again, like just start finishing my, my one of my thoughts that I had about inequality is the fact that, um, yeah, sure, you pay the same amount of like prize money. 
good for you. Like this is not that's not all there is to it. Like you don't achieve equality just by giving the same amount of money. It's like it's it's a given that you have to treat those players well. Like during the tournament, this is like they're yes they're yeah. they're they're there in a big part for the money, but like. You don't want to be disrespected and given like a a check of like six million dollars just to shut up. Like that's not how this works. You know, like you you want a proper uh, trophy presentation. You want to be treated as a as a as an elite athlete um, who people are coming up to watch your tennis because to watch your your tournament because of them. And it, so it's like you, you do want to like give them. Yeah. As and obviously, we as, all yeah. understand that the WTA is in a bit of a financial crisis at the yeah. minute because of you know the. The situation that they had in China and like not being able to for sure yeah. there and then plus also like maybe not as much money being spent on marketing that's why they are now partnered with a private equity firm so like like they're not as big they're not nearly as big as the ATP in terms of like driving interest or revenue like at at, at this point but but like yeah you know still their product is able to stand on their own there's still yeah. like one of the only sports like it's the biggest women's global sport um you know the interest is definitely there. Like, yeah. you can point to several matches where, like, you know, women's matches were better or they had more revenue or what, like, whatever. Like, it's just, it's like kind of a lazy argument to just be like, oh, there's not that much. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because like, because the idea is, you don't want to have to wait until the WTA is as big as the ATP to treat the players with the respect that they deserve, in the yeah. sense of like just making a proper schedule. Making a proper trophy ceremony, the Madrid thing was unacceptable for the the the, the, the double. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it's like able to let the double player speak. Like that's it's 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 not even like it's something that comes with like a tournament organizing event. Like it it you don't even have to put extra infrastructure. You already have microphones set up. Like just let them speak. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's, yeah, I think it's, they were afraid yeah. of backlash from <laughs> from from the players, but that's that's an even worse move. Like, who thought that was a good idea? Because thousand like, percent, like, yeah, like it's like the worst PR. That's that makes you look even even worse. Even worse, yeah. So yeah, I feel like the yeah. the to that point, I think it's the responsibility of of tournaments and those or, those organizations work in part independently from the WTA. They work in partnership rather. Um, they're not all WTA like own. Um, they own the the rights for television. So that's kind of like how it's structuring. They sell the rights to to have their tournaments, but um, it's the responsibility of those organizations to like do this properly. To like, um, I don't want to say this because it's super cheesy, but like, be the change. You know what I mean? It's like you you can do this. You can. It's not something that is. It's dependent entirely on money. There is a lot of it. This comes with just like the will. You have to want to do that in 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 order to make that yeah. happen. Yeah. Like you have to make it a like at the top of your priority list. Exactly. If it's not, then you know you'll be able to subconsciously justify it however you want. Yeah. So, I think that's sort of the big takeaway. Like because like it's getting a lot of criticism, and we saw it in Madrid and Rome. So like for four weeks, basically this happened and so yeah it's something for tennis to learn from and yeah definitely um it might even become another talking point in in paris because the night session only has one match and mm -hmm. last year that became a big controversy with like you know not having any women's matches and i think they only had one or did they have any they, yeah they only had one basically yeah. the whole fortnight and so so we'll see like you know it's an ongoing like discussion and yeah but at least it's it's at least it's a discussion. It's at least people are talking about it. At least it's bringing more eyes to the sport. And then we're talking about it. So, um, yeah, 
But I yeah. think I think the overall attendance will be super exciting and 100%. wait for the draws to come out for Roland Garros and then we'll have we'll cover all the action and then yeah, we'll have a good end to the clay season. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, totally. I think it's I think it's it's disappointing for a lot of people that we have to be talking about these issues like when obviously well we don't we don't we don't find this funny to like talk about this like what we want to do is like watch tennis like when i created this podcast and like you joined this the idea is just talk about tennis and enjoy it as spectators because we are fans and i all you want to do is like enjoy this sport that we like so much so yeah we'll see like how rg deals with uh, the backlash from last year and if they do any changes because of what just happened in madrid and rome see if that happens that changes anything so expecting expecting a really good tennis you know really good tennis though for sure that's never in question i guess for me yeah yeah this was this was fun and uh, i think our listeners will enjoy the the depth that we were able to give mm-hmm. in this conversation for a little over an hour but yeah uh, yeah yeah for sure and uh if you in the listener side if you have something to add to this conversation or like something they want to comment just feel free to sh- shoot us a um, tweet at tennis and bagels uh or vanish at vanish b2k or me at rollenberg andre Owen, still miss you. I hope we can talk soon. Um, he'll be back uh, at some point. Like I think I should probably try to get like a, from Owen a day, like maybe when we could have him back. Uh, no rush, Owen, though. Uh, uh, so you can tweet at him at Tennis Nation uh, on Twitter. We are all pretty active. So uh, yeah, uh, thanks for listening and see you guys next time. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.